As a people, we are constantly evolving, and part of what influences how we evolve are the conversations we have with ourselves and other people. Welcome to Evolution Space Chats, where we take a moment to tell our stories, to see ourselves in each other, and to grow in dealing with our daily challenges. Hello, welcome to Evolution Space Chats with myself, Divinity Khoji. Thank you so much for taking time and joining us once again. If you're joining us for the first time, please be sure to follow us and subscribe and like and share with your friends and family. If you are part of the family already, we appreciate you being here. Now, often because of the misconception about mental health and wellness, people suffer in silence and their conditions go untreated. We have just come out of Mental Health Awareness Month and we continue to advocate for mental health as well as wellness in its all-roundedness because we really want to reduce the stigma around mental health and around mental health illnesses and we do this by continuing to share our personal experiences now today with me i have ntavi singh hi ntavi singh hi Sissi. how are you i'm very good i'm excellent i love that response i'm so glad you are at that point and ntavi singh will be joining me in having a conversation ntavi singh webe is a mother businesswoman, an attorney by profession, and the author of The Mending of a Broken Vessel. She has an enthusiastic approach to life, and one phrase that describes her is that she is a focused, productive, nurturing force that serves her community with exuberant passion. So you have very big titles that come with your name. Um, You have worked very hard, evidently, but obviously... It your journey has not been easy. There's a lot that you've actually gone through, a lot of pain, a lot of rejection. Let's talk about where it all started. Here, I think you summed it up accurately. It hasn't been an easy journey. Mm. In the 45 years that I have lived, I think I've come to understand what I've been saying is um, over the last probably five years, mm. And um, so it all started from childhood. I think we take in a lot of trauma, um, even from childhood, that we, we don't do. necessarily know mm, or mm. recognize as trauma. 100%. And for me, that um, happened, um, I come from a, div- a divorced um, parent's home. Okay. And that has a lot of... In a way, in a lot of ways, contributed to the person that I became. Okay. And um, I became a pregnant teenager, and um, I always start at the point of my parents' divorce. Okay. Because when I go back and reflect on what went wrong, mm. for me, I think that is where my desire and my quest for love, seeking a place where I can call a place of belonging, mm. um, a place called home. Mm. And when I say home, I don't necessarily mean a house. You don't I mean, mean the four walls. of belonging, yeah. Mm. A place where I could feel welcome and embraced and loved. Um, it doesn't mean that I wasn't loved. Okay, so on that point of, of it not meaning that you weren't loved, 
you track your journey from the point where your parents got divorced. Mm. How was it before your parents got divorced? Did Could you tell that something's off here or they're not getting along? How how was home before that? I wasn't even around. Okay. Um, I was at boarding school. So what I left was a, a household of five people. My um, three siblings and um, my two parents. And um, when I came back from boarding school and come back, I mean, when I was now going to school at home. Okay, you were moving back home. Moving back at home. That's when um, things were falling apart. So I came back right into the explosion of things. Mm. So I didn't really see things going off the rail. I just found the explosion going on. And for me, that is where I got lost. Mm. Um, Tabisen got lost. The child got lost in all of that. Mm. And... um, I, I want to make it clear, I don't blame anyone. I don't have any uh, misgivings towards my parents in any of that. I understand that we're going through their own journey. And but we'll actually get to talk about how you got to that point of not blaming your parents. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of children grow up and they're going through um, a lot of dysfunction in the, in the family. And in in them becoming adults, they actually blame their parents. And they're like, if you hadn't, or if you had provided a better home and a safer space mm-hmm. for me, I wouldn't have turned up. So we get to speaking about how you actually got to that. Because I think th- that takes a lot of healing in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So you're not staying at home. You, mo- you come back home to study from home now. And you are coming into the situation right into the thick of it and you're saying that you got lost i got lost because um suddenly one parent doesn't stay at home with us anymore so when you moved back had the one parent already moved out um it was in that process of the one parent finding their own place to stay and um, moving their belongings and um, the custody of the children being awarded to the other parents Mm. so in all of that I am a teenager going through adolescent mm. and I try to find myself in the teenage years and I'm also trying to find myself in, in where do I fit in between my two parents? Where do my loyalties lie? Can I love one without betraying the other? Who do I even stay with? Mm. And I think that set me on a quest of, you know, who will love me? Who will accept me? Who can... You know, who can um, accept me without me feeling like I'm betraying anyone? And certainly for me, I found that in the hands of um, an, old, an, el- an elderly um, boy, I suppose. And So you started dating I at start- that stage? Yes. And I, 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 it sort of set the tone for my life. Mm. That became the story of Ntabi Singh, moving from relationship to relationship. But... In that relationship that I sought to find myself, I became pregnant and I became a pregnant teenager. So, so you know, now, and you're a mother, you're going to become a mother. I became a 16 year old mother. So, you know, I, I get further and further lost. Mm. I haven't discovered myself. And without discovering myself, now I'm a mother to a baby. And I still don't know myself. Mm. And that is where the journey of my brokenness basically started, mm. you know, from the broken home, but. Um, compounded, escalated further by my quest to find a place that I can say I am accepted and loved. Mm. So 
from the brokenness at home, you found yourself broken and you went on about to find love and to find warmth and comfort elsewhere. And you've mentioned just now that the relationship that you got into with the older guy was that first place. And where else in your life as you were growing up did you start seeing um, the effects of that brokenness come in? Where did you start seeing um, that I've actually got these scars and what were, th- were those scars as you started discovering them? You know, it. I went from broken encounter to broken encounter. And it took me years, better part of my adulthood, in fact. And hence I said to you at the very beginning, I think it's only been in the last five years that I've started coming to know who I was. Who you really are. And that um, answers the question of when did I realize the brokenness? In the... I would say second probably year of my current marriage, Mm. I realized, but there is a side of me that is just so unkind. There Mm. is a side of me that is just so, um, you know, lacking in compassion, you know, um, so brutal, even if I can put it that way. Mm. And that would be actually the accurate way to use. And sadly, it took the, the experiences that I had been through pouring themselves out, you know, bleeding into my marriage, that I realized there is a wounded baby inside of me that I never really got to to deal with. And I never actually even realized I was wounded. Mm. I never, you know, wounded people don't know that they are carrying around a lot of pain. Mm. But Mm. it took the fact that I started asking the normality of my everyday interactions. Mm. How is it that in a room of three people, you know, I would not get along with both of you. Mm. And I would be the common denominator. Mm. So it took, converse, con, you know, conversations like that, dialogues like that within myself. Yes. That got me to say, hang on, there must be something, something wrong, wrong with yeah. me. Now, you mentioned your current marriage. So, so that we don't have too much of a big gap. You were with this older guy. You got pregnant. Now, before you got to your current marriage, what happened in between Oh, a lot of relationships. Like I, I, I alluded, I, I went, I was on a quest for love. Mm. I went from relationship to relationship. Mm. You know, um, I would hurt you before you hurt me. Mm. And if I sensed that you were not being, uh, um, you know, um, loyal to me in any way, I will surely, surely, surely um, move on. And I will surely make sure that I hurt you before I felt any pain. Mm. So I, I made a lot of, um, I won't say enemies, but I had a lot of people mm. in the process, mm. you know. So um, it's the relationship hopping that came with the um, a bed hopping mm. that went with a lot of promiscuity. I cannot even count for you how many relationships I was involved in. Mm. Um, and um, I came to a point where I got married mm. and the marriage for me was okay in a way it resembled or it at least to a certain extent made me feel like the relationship had I but how did I you home. get to being at a point where you were comfortable or felt safe enough to marry someone if there were all these other relationships where you were, you were hurting people first where you were very doubtful and insecure how did you get to a relationship that you actually made a decision 
I, I suppose this guy proposed to you. And how did you get to a point of actually saying yes? How did you trust this one? Okay, that's a good question. Let's go back. From this first relationship where I got my daughter, mm-hmm. I became a very reserved young girl. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't outgoing. I was scared of the world. I felt I had a stigma of a, a you know, she has a child mm. written over her forehead. That became my life in university. And um, when I completed my studies, just after, just before I started practicing, I met this older, elder, much elder, much older than the first one. Than the first one. And I think he presented a safe home mm. because I thought, you know, this one will not leave me like the father of my child had left me. This one will not look for any other girl but me. So I got married at that point. Okay. It's it's after the collapse of that marriage that I started going from relationship to okay. relationship. I think was I try I was trying to heal perhaps from, was, yes from yeah, that relationship from that marriage and how how did that marriage end what led to its end because you oh. went in all hopeful and believing that you know what this is it this is what I've been looking for you know um I got a call from the Limpopo legislature and they said we want to send you to national parliament mm-hmm. to represent our province mm-hmm. it was a great opportunity and I was going to present some some um, paper on amendments to education that the province was suggesting. And, you know, naturally, in, in, in it, it was in the earlier years of my professional life. Mm. So I went home excited and I shared the news. And the response I got was, you're not going. And From your husband? Yes, you're not going. No conversation? No. Okay. Um, you're not going. Um, I don't trust you. There are a lot of, there has been a lot of accusations about affairs, infidelity on both of our sides. Mm. So the fact that I wasn't going stemmed from that. Probably Mm. he thought I was going with another man. And despite my negotiations that, you know, we can go together. Why don't you accompany me? Mm. Why don't you? Ultimately, he had decided I'm not going. And I said, no, I'm not having it. I'm going. And sadly, when I came back a week later, Mm. um, I came back on a Thursday. On Friday at my office, the sheriff comes and he serves me with divorce papers. No. So I came to understand that, oh, my growth, my professional growth Mm. is a threat for this marriage now. So that is how I got divorced. And um, he tried to... I think he took the step as a way to threaten me. Mm-hmm. And when I wouldn't relent, he, he tried to somehow, um, during the course of the proceedings, to have them, you know, revoked. And But I, I had my guns blazing. I was furious. I said, no, if, if this is a divorce you want, it's a divorce we are getting. Mm. And that is certainly how we got to the end of the marriage. Because also, if that is how he is responding to this one incident this one growth in your career how is he then going to respond to other things yeah and and a lot had been going on in the marriage it wasn't just only that Mm. but that it took that one incident for me to realize that you know what this there there isn't much left here i had Mm. been alone for quite some time for quite Mm. a while i had been alone i had not been in a partnership Mm. and i just had not been awakened enough to that fact Mm. and would you say that your eyes were blinded to that fact because of the longing that you had inside of you you know when you want something bad enough Mm. and you finally have it um it was a case of um where would i go 
um, who wouldn't I be saying be outside of this marriage? Mm. And above all, you know, um, I never saw myself outside of being his wife and outside of being a mother. And um, it wasn't even about the, the, um, the fact that I could, I never realized that I could have a life for myself as a single mother. Mm. I wasn't capable of that in my view. Mm. So I, in as much as it was a dysfunctional marriage, I wanted it so badly mm. that even when I was the one who said, we are proceeding with the divorce, I still attempted to end my life because I wanted to hold on. So you attempted suicide? I attempted suicide. During the divorce proceedings? Finally, when we were at that point where I could see that it's coming to an end. Mm. Really, this is the reality. I, I could not bear the thought of living without the marriage. I want to make it clear, Sissy, it was not about, I love him so much, you know, I can't live without him. No, I, I could live without him. I just didn't know how to live without the marriage that I was in. Mm. And so what, what, what happened? What did you do in order to try and, and end your life? It was one uh, Sunday afternoon with my barely two-year-old son on my back. So, um, so you you had your daughter as a teenager, as a teenager, and, and then from you, that marriage, you had one one a boy. We had a son, and uh, by then he was not living at home anymore. He would disappear for a month, for six weeks. I wouldn't know he, where he is, and. Um, I think at some point, one Sunday, it just became too much for me. And um, I carried my son on my back and I called one of my girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, it's the end for me. I'm ending my life. I was walking around the estate where I lived. And just like that, I broke down. I started throwing myself on oncoming traffic, mm -hmm. you know, you know, as a car would approach, I would go in and some people would hold and, you know, and I think one of the people called this, the, the, the security gate and one of the security guards ran and he came and he took, he grabbed my baby and um, put the baby on this. I don't even know where he put the baby. And then he came and grabbed me mm. and, you know, he wrestled with me, got me to the ground. And it, I think it's only then when I was sitting there that my mind came back that I started understanding what I was actually trying to do. Mm. But in, in, in all honesty, I lost it that afternoon. I don't know how I came to the point of wanting to end my life. I just know that it was too much. I didn't want to live anymore. Mm. And, and then after that, how did you come out of that? Because yes, you came back to your mind as you were sitting there, but I'm sure it wasn't an instant I'm ready for life mm -mm. and I'm going to thrive. How did you come out of that pit? Um, it took me years because I went on to attempt to commit suicide for the third time. So um, so this is at the estate was the first time? Second. When was the first? The baby daily drama. Which baby? The first. Your daughter? My daughter. Okay. When that relationship ended, I drank a concoction of... I mixed whatever I could. <laughs> Why? Was, what state of mind were you in then? You know what? 
as much as I was um, 18 at the time, mm. um, we had been together for years. So I had my baby at the age of 16 mm. and um, 17 we were together, 18. Mm. I discovered that he's seeing someone else. Not only that, but I saw it with my eyes and I witnessed it. And in as much as I was 18, I can tell you this, I was in love. Um, I think that was my my first real feeling mm, of love. Mm, mm. Yeah. And um, that suicide attempt, I attempted because I loved him and I did not see myself living without him. I honestly didn't. So um, it became too much for me that he had someone else. Mm. And I still, even after attempting the suicide, even after seeing them together, you know, sharing the same room with them overnight and... I sharing the same room oh, with them. Yeah. Yes. Um you were I, I, Okay. Please right. help me out. So I'm saying studying at the University of Pretoria. So now I'm wondering, you know, but my boyfriend has never visited me. Mm. But I've never be visited my boyfriend. Mm. So I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And you know, he caved and he said, Okay, you can come through. And then I took a bus. Off I went to visit him. He was working um, I think it was Mohopong at the time. Mm. So I visit him there. And, um, you know, just before 10 in the in the night, there's a knock and there's a lady. Oh, so it almost became nasty. And he introduced me. This is my girlfriend. Is that what he says when he introduces you are his girlfriend? This, and how does he introduce the other lady? This is his girlfriend. Okay. And this... I am the mother of his child. Oh, is that what you were what I was. at this point? Yes. And I'm like, okay. And um, this is very dramatic and it almost became a fight. And mm. and I quickly realized, hey, I don't know anyone in this town. So I better behave. Mm. So she's like, I'm staying here tonight. I'm sleeping here. I'm staying here. And he's trying, no, but you can come back tomorrow. Mm. And, and she's adamant. And eventually I step in and I said, you know what, can I just suggest that because I'm out of town, I don't know anyone here, she can stay because she's used to staying here. Mm. In, in exactly this voice. <laughs> because I was like, for the life of me, no Begging one... and pleading not to be chased no out. No one must chase me. Where am I going to go? <laughs> and um, I said, no, I will sleep here. It's fine. She can, she can sleep on the bed because it's a three-quarter bed. Mm. I will sleep on the floor. I don't mind. You know, I never slept. I don't have to tell you that. How are you going to sleep? I never slept. I think by the time I shut my eyes, it was 3 a.m. I was up by 6 a.m. Ready to go. Ready to take a bath and go. It was on that day, that night, that I attempted my first suicide. While you were still there? No, I left. You left? I left. And you were back at university? No, I thought... Initially, my first plan was I'm gonna throw myself in the oncoming traffic. This idea of throwing yourself on oncoming oh, traffic. Come long way. It's like option number one. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I don't know anyone in this town who's gonna come and pick up my remains in Mohopo. You are even thinking about yeah. that. So I thought, let me go home and see my daughter's face one last time. Mm. I went home. That evening, I saw my daughter. That night, I put handy handy, shoes, float, domestos, all jig, all of these things you can think about. I put them in a jar 
and I drank. I drank. And tomorrow, I was so sick. You woke up. I woke up alive. So sick with such a diarrhea. But I lived. <laughs> the best you got out of it was a diarrhea. The best I got out of it. And um, I went back to Varsity and carried on with life. So that's the first suicide attempt. Yeah. The second one was at the stage with you throwing yourself in front at of the At the collapse class. of the second marriage. At the collapse of, of the, the first Of the first marriage, yeah. And the third attempt? Third attempt, um, 2009. I'm a partner in a law firm. And um, my partners call me in a meeting. And they say, it's on my birthday, 28th of January. And they say, we've taken a decision that we cannot work with you anymore. I'm like, okay, what is it? Can we not resolve it? And um, we go up back and forth, back and forth. The bottom line is we voted with four of us. So it's a three to one, you're out. So just like that, I lost my job. Staying in the nice suburbs, driving the fancy cars with the company credit card being the friend that um, borrows everyone money. Mm. And here I am now, without a penny. My kids are stay and, and are now in the fences of the schools. How do I make ends meet? I didn't know who I was outside of my professional achievements, my material successes. Mm. I got lost. Who would Tamsing be? And the irony of it is I had no one. You know, the type of thing who had everyone who was the go-to girl. Mm. In her hour of need, she had no one. No one was there for you. So I couldn't face my life. I couldn't face going out there to the world as the type of thing because the type of thing was always introduced as partner at so-and-so. Mm. You know, um, the type of thing who drives so-and-so. So when the when it when my financial situation got so bad that the bank was now you know auctioning the house and the cars were being repossessed and and I just could you know I just could not take it anymore, so I overdosed. I I not no I didn't overdose, an overdose is a mistake. I took those pills, and I drank them. Mm. I attempted to end my life. And you woke up that made it clinic did somebody find you how did you get to do you know how you got to I don't even know how that's a part I never even asked anyone mm. I woke up in medic clinic and I made it alive mm. yeah. a lot of shame a lot of judgment even self judgment for yourself um the suicidal attempts. Mm. Did you ever seek any professional help? Did you ever go see a therapist or go for counseling? When I was going through my second divorce, an elderly lady that I respect so much said to me, you, you cannot get through with this divorce if you have not forgiven him. Make sure that by the time you end this marriage, you have forgiven him. So I, I started seeing as a therapist at that point in my life. And when I 
became suicide when I, I I I acted on the suicidal thoughts that I had. I immediately, you know, started going for clinical, um, seeking clinical intervention, mm. and my mom was one of the most um, authentic voices I needed to hear. My mom is very staunch. She's very strong and harsh as well. Mm. So my mom never said to me, Hi, yo, my mom was like, Hey, you want to end your life? <laughs> <laughs> For my man, outside in Rafuso, yo, he doesn't care. Mm. Can, can you not face your reality? And she immediately said to me, Hey, get clinical help, get clinical intervention. And I did. And to this day, if I feel that I'm in any way challenged, I don't hesitate. Mm. I go for clinical intervention. I'm not even afraid of the stigma. Mm. I'm not even afraid of the judgment mm. because it mental unwellness for us, mm. particularly black people, mm. it's such a taboo. Mm. Seeing a therapist, they think we are shy. Mm. But if I co compare it with my um, white counterparts, they go through life with a therapist. Mm. They don't wait for problems. If they just want to talk, they go to a therapist. So that is at the point where I'm at now mm. in my life. Mm. Where you are able to say, I need help and I'm going to go and ask for yes. it. Yes, and I talk. If I feel that there's something heavy weighing me down, I don't wait for someone I trust. I'm very good me talking with strangers. <laughs> it's my auntie. <laughs> I will just find someone I don't know. Sit, I don't mind. I sit in a park with someone I don't know and I start telling them my story. Mm. And by the time I leave, I know for sure they won't remember my name. They are so exhausted from the hour or 30 minutes I spent blabbering. Mm. It's unlikely someone will point a finger at me and say, it's that girl. Mm. They forgot me. <laughs> and so you got to writing your book. And the title of the book is The Mending of a Broken Vessel. Mm. What made you decide to pin down? It was a spiritual revelation, really. Mm. Um, I'm born again. I love God. So some um, servant of God said to me, you know, God wants you to write a book. Mm. And I, I listened to the voice of God. I hearkened to it mm. through various people, through prayer when I'm praying and and. and I hear God speaks to my spirit, plants a seed in my spirit. I listen. Mm. And um, I, I disputed that God would want me to say anything mm. because I didn't know that I had anything to say. I didn't know that my experiences, cumulative years and brokenness that I'd experienced can be a tool for somebody's healing. So um, I just was not motivated to write. And then lockdown happened. Mm. I wasn't going to court anymore. Mm. I was sitting at home and I said, let me give this thing a try. Must write the book. Let me write. Funny enough, I started writing about my primary, my, my, my school uh, years and what happened in my family. And the memories just started flooding back. Mm. Everything that I had suppressed, everything that I thought I was over, everything that I thought I didn't need to deal with, every pain that I'd experienced started coming back. And I started feeling it as if it happened yesterday. And I started crying over it. And three months later, I had a page 
a book of 300 pages mm. with all of the experiences that I had gone through. If I can sum it up with all the brokenness that I carried yeah. in my life. Sure. That is a powerful, powerful story. I usually say that a lot of people say that the lockdown and COVID was a curse and, you know, but there's so many people that I've um, spoken to mm. that it turned out to be such a blessing because it allowed them the stillness for them to actually go through a certain part of their journey that they wouldn't have gone through if not. I found my healing in, in writing the book. I thought I was writing the book for the world. I thought I was writing the book for someone who may be going through difficulties. And above all, I when you know when I when I saw that this was becoming a book, I thought of the pregnant teenager. I thought, yo, I want my book to get in the hands of teenagers. If I can save one teenager from getting pregnant, and people started getting the book, and people started asking me about the suicide. And I started realizing the hopelessness that COVID brought. People felt lost. Mm. You know, suddenly outgoing, we can't go out anymore. You know, going to, to our jobs, going to school, interacting with other people, it took something away from us, you know, that, um, you know, we didn't need to, um, you know, deal with. But suddenly when we are you know, locked up in, in, in one space. You have to, you're forced to think about everyday things that mm. you, everyday emotions, feel everything. Mm. And um, for me, COVID was a blessing because I found my healing mm. during COVID. Mm. And of course, I found, I released the book during COVID. Yes. And before we round up this conversation, I you mentioned how you listen to God through prayer and through people messages that He brings to you through people. Have you always been a spiritual person? And if not, where when did you your spiritual journey, you know, growing that relationship with God start for you? Having been through everything that you've gone through, I'm. God has been presented to me in various facets from my young childhood to my Roman Catholic boarding school. So the concept of God has always been brought in and out of my life. Mm. But um, for me, finding God for myself, I found God and started relating with God during my financial problems. Um, Is this I, when you you lost your job? Yeah, after I lost my job, after the attempted suicide, I reached a point where, you know, people would come. My neighbor, one neighbor of mine came to me and, and she said, now the bank had, uh, was on the verge of auctioning the house. And he said, you know, how much do you need? I can borrow you money and um, I can give you, it's 90,000 to pay now. And you will give it to me when you have money when you're back on your feet. And I said, but I don't know when I'll be back on my feet. Mm. And he said, but it's fine. And a voice inside of me said, he's only saying that now. Mm. Yeah, no one knows when I'll be back on my feet. And I knew without a doubt, there's no help for me here. Mm. So I thought I've got to start looking for help outside of myself. No one is gonna help me here. And that's when I thought, I'm just gonna start praying. Now, no one no one came to me and preached to me. Mm. I spent almost a year praying to this God that I didn't know. I knew that if I'm alive, someone is keeping me alive. This person that is keeping me alive 
better do something. And I kept on praying and I started reading the word of God, started reading the Bible. And I think almost a year or, or, or even to two years, I followed my neighbor to church, the one who offered me money. Mm. And I, I, I went to him and his wife and I said, um, where do you go to church? And they told me, they directed me. Mm. And the one morning they are sitting in church and up I come. And what would you say is the importance of finding that spiritual anchor? What has that importance been in your healing journey? You need to find a voice that will counter the other voices. Um, for me, suicide has a voice. Every time when I attempt to take my life, there's a voice which will tell me, can you see your problem is so big? Can you see you won't get out of this? Just end it. And the voice would go as far as telling me, end it like this. Do this. And um, with my finding God, I found a voice that whenever those voices would speak, that voice would remind me who I am. I would always go to God and say, but your word says about me, but um, you have plans for me, but um, you don't, you know, you can't leave me suffering. You say you never leave me or you never forsake me. There's a journey that I'm at. I may be in a bad space now. Is it enough for me to end my life? No, you're taking me somewhere. Today won't be as bad as yesterday was. And finding that one thing that counters the voices for me mm. has been a lifesaver. Mm. I go through challenges now. And um, I wish I can say this. I need to say this. Because my mind is so used to the comfort of suicide. Every time I pick up serious challenges, my mind quickly rushes there. It's a mm. comfort place. Mm. So because I'm so grounded spiritually, and people maybe wonder why I'm so, you know, when I, when I hold on to God and I say God, I mean it with every fiber of my being. Mm -hmm. It's because he's the voice that's keeping me alive. Mm -hmm. Not so long, I think my, some two months back, April, no March, the end of March, I had suicidal thoughts. And because of where I am now, because of the voice that speaks louder than any other voice in my life, I can look to God and hear him speak mm. and say, it's not the end. Mm. Look at everything that I'm doing around your life. You've, you've got to go and speak. You've got to tell people you've got this and that. And that's where one of my movements, Choose to Live Movement, came to birth. Mm. That's why I go around and I speak you know, openly about my suicide attempts because for the life of me, for the glory of God, someone out there must listen. Mm. If we save one person, if we save two people, it's okay. And speaking about saving people and saving lives, we spoke earlier on about how um, a lot of adults realize now in their adult life the traumatic experiences that they went through when they were younger. What would you say is the best way for those adults, now we're speaking to the adults who have mm. gone through traumatic experiences in, they, in their upbringing and in their childhood, and they have those young little children still hurting and bleeding inside of them. What would you say is the best way that they can hold up space for those little children, hold up space for themselves now so that they can live wholesome lives? Um, in as much as it's so 
uncomfortable, be willing to open the door. Because that child who was molested, that child who was raped maybe, um, that child who was abused physically, you know, some of us, our parents hit us so badly, you know, reflecting one would say, really, this was child abuse. That child is still stuck mm. in that room. So the best way for you to have a wholesome life is to open the door and free that child. Mm. The difficulty in that is you don't get to free the child unless you go back mm -hmm. and reflect on what happened and you be candid about it and you cry about it and you feel you feel it as if it happened today and if you want to cry about it as if it happened yesterday or today you do that if it means you write what you remember you do that because if you don't that child is going to come and peep in you know you how we will see that child in the anger outbursts mm. you know there are some people who will be speaking to them and it doesn't take they they i think they call it zero to hundred they'll be fine now mm. it doesn't take a lot to set them mm. off how oh, and then now because i am where i am at in my journey i can quickly spot oh there's a child somewhere who has never been freed there's you know some head that has never been dealt with. Mm. I'm more understanding and I can easily relate mm. to experiences like that because they will keep on making an appearance in your marriage. They will make an appearance at church. Mm. They will make an appearance when you're with people. You will suddenly find yourself lost in thought and you're moody and it's, you, you will say, hi, um, moody, hi, man. Then suddenly mm. they are lost in thought. Mm. That child is, is just peeping in, you know. So free that child and then you will have a wholesome life. Mm. Yeah. Only then you can live a life that is fruitful and that is purposeful. Chavi Singh, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. I really enjoyed doing this podcast. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was such a lovely conversation and I definitely know that somebody else is going to be listening and they are going to see themselves in your story and they are going to find some healing and they are going to find practical ways to actually get help, the help that they need. Yeah. Thank you for your story. Thank you for sharing your journey. I will wish you all the best going forward. And um, there is really no way around us dealing with the things that we've gone through. We cannot, I usually say that we cannot think our way through our emotions. Yeah. We've got to actually feel everything that needs to be felt for us to actually truly heal. Now, this podcast is available on Sowetan Live as well as all of your major podcast platforms. Till next week. Be part of our community and follow us on our social media platforms. Till we meet again next week. Magudete obumyama kuvele ukukanya. Love and light. Evolution is the key to breaking the cycle of the norm. Thank you.